Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The NFL is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at betonline.ag. I love these guys. Betonline.ag is my favorite betting website. We've had ride with Rozzy going. Tough week last week, one and two. We're at 500 now. Um, but this week we're getting back on the horse. We are going all spreads. We are taking the Steelers. We are taking the Bears. And we are taking the Colts. So Bears, Steelers, Colts, spreads, ride with Razzie. Head online to betonline.ag today and take full advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag. What's he listening to? Same song over and over. Throw me the ball and watch what I do with it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We got Bow Wow in the house. My man Lil Zane. Uh-huh. Lil Wayne. Sammy Saint took me. Strike one. Caught you by surprise. Strike two. Uh-huh. Right before your eyes. Bitch uh-huh. three. This one's to the wall. Uh-huh. Ain't no fun like uh-huh. a game so, of football. So What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Believe in the Long Ball podcast with your hosts, Alan Sauce and Orlando Razo. If you're listening to us, you're probably listening on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, or Luminary. But if you didn't know, you can listen on all those different platforms. Now you know. If you like us, rate us. Give us five stars if you really like us. But if you don't like us, don't give us five stars. But at least let us know why. Orlando, the World Series is over. Um, if you're a Giants fan or just a Dodger hater, you're licking your wounds probably still or not too far removed, but it was a good series. You know, I had Dodgers in six, so I was right. And I believe you had Rays in seven, so you were wrong. But past wrong. that, how did you feel about the series? How did you feel everything went? Give me your initial thoughts. Well, first of all, we do have an interview coming up. We do with uh, a pitching strategy, run prevention strategist, coordinator, Mm. front office, something uh, with the Cubs, Brad Mills, but he played in the big leagues for a long time. He's one of the more interesting personalities. So we'll get to that later, but the world series, man, I was sad in, in that game, in that last game in game Mm. six, I was sad for Blake Snell. It was very sad. I was also happy for Kershaw and like, it, it's impossible to, to be, to you're not human. If you're not somewhat, if you see Kershaw and how happy his teammates were, were for him and how happy um, just like Dave Roberts went out of his way to, to congratulate all the veterans. Um, but if you just see like the joy in his face, it, it was impossible to not be happy right. for them. Um, but I, I still like as a pitcher, man, that I was, I was heartbroken for Snell, especially hearing him after the game where he was just, he was almost like in shock that, that, that actually happened because that was just supposed to be his game. That was supposed to be the Blake Snell game. Like we were supposed Mm -hmm. to go to a game seven and you brought up a really good point and I'll let you get to it after you brought up a good point on Twitter saying, well, they fucking scored one run. Mm-hmm. So what, what the hell are they going to do anyway? But 
I mean, my point is the whole momentum factor. Like everyone yeah. was talking about it. Mookie was talking about it. Um, Dave Roberts was talking about it. Everyone was just like right then and there, the game just totally swung. And it wasn't even, it was a bad pitch that he gave up the single on, but it was not hard hit. And it was almost like the swing, just like the barrel just ran into the ball. It wasn't, mm. it wasn't a good swing and it wasn't a good pitch. So I was just mainly very, very, very sad for, for Blake. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I will say, if you do follow me on Twitter, your initial thoughts are what they are. And I'm not going back on anything. It's just the more you listen and take in what everybody else is talking about, uh, it might give you different perspectives. So I still feel the same way I feel as far as you put up one run. If, if you had put up two runs, it's not a question at all. I think he obviously gets left in. My question to you would be, we know Mookie did not hit lefties well, or has not hit lefties well. We know that. But after that, and then you, and, and nobody had hit them. I think they were 0 for 6 for 6 strikeouts, which is absurd. My question is, with a one-run lead, when are you taking them out? Like, literally after just, hey, just let them tie it up or take the lead? That was really my question. Like, if the same thing happens, let's say the same situation, again, and, and it's the third time through the lineup, and I'm not really playing devil's advocate. I, it was just really surprising to me that nobody was talking about the fact that it was one run, and it's the Dodgers. The last time the Dodgers scored less than two runs was the first game of the NLCS against the Braves. And that's the first time they saw their pitching staff. So that for me, I, I get destroying Kevin Cash. I get it. But how do you just not bring that up at all? Uh, and, and I get the momentum thing. My question was really just at what point do you take him out? What if Mookie, what if he walks Mookie? Do you take him out then? Like, I'm trying to figure out what the line was because if he, if Mookie hits a bomb, is it still Kevin Cash's fault? I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, those are all great points. Those are all excellent points, but at some point, like some things are just pretty fucking black and white. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you can, that's, that's based on feel of when you take him out. I so, would have left him in by the way. Don't get yeah, me wrong. Of course. I'm just I saying. I was trying to think about that. And I, I, how many humans on earth do you think would have pulled him in that uh, any, anyone that has remotely ever paid attention to baseball, how many humans on earth would have pulled him there? And I believe I saw, so this does nothing for you. I'm asking 21 starts. I think it was in none of those starts did he go past the sixth inning. That doesn't matter to you in this moment. He's balling. Leave him in. Yes. And conversely, and if he gets left in and Mookie hits a, a two-run bomb off him, is he not going to get killed for that? I think that he would not have gotten killed for that. No, especially how the game had gone, like how dominant he was. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that you have to look at, too, is that he was unhittable. Like he was right. the most dominant that I, I mean, Freed looked amazing, but the, the heart of that lineup had no chance, mm -hmm. no chance against him. So 
when you take all that into account, yeah, if, if he gives up a two run bomb there, then you're like, well, he was like, when you look back on it, he can always say, well, when you look back on it, look at how he was pitching. Mm-hmm. Like I have to be able to manage with some feel and, and especially with the pitch count, like there, if he was at maybe a hundred and a hundred pitches, yeah. yeah, take him out. But he was at 73, not stressful pitches at all. So in, yeah. in pitching years, or if you want to com- make the comparison to dog years, that's like 30 something pitches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That really is. It's like throwing it, a bullpen. <laughs> well, and it all goes into it. We all saw his facial expression or more than a facial expression. I think he yelled, dropped the F bomb as he's walking off the mound. Can't I'm trying. I don't know if the Dodgers literally saw that based on where he was facing, but the Dodgers from body language could tell how Snell felt that he was upset and they're already juiced that he's out of the game. And you know, that's just got to juice him up even more So again, I would have left him in and I agree with everything that everybody has said. I I don't know. Do you agree with some of, uh, I don't want to get it. You know, the, the, our old school G's, the Tim Kirchins, the Buster Onlys saying stuff like on this day, baseball took a huge step back. Like, are you going that far? I mean, no, there's always going to be those. Tim Kirchin was acting as if, the i mean a murder was committed on the field he right. was he was devastated it was as if someone stabbed baseball in the neck right with a, right with a with a, a blunt blade well, and, and just squeezed the wound out of it like the, he was freaked out he was completely freaked out well it's funny because of what happened later with justin turner running on the field and COVID, COVIDing up everyone. It's funny that if you had heard that statement without necessarily seeing which, seeing two head, headlines, you would think that Tim Kirchner was talking about Justin Turner running on the field. No, no, no. He's not talking about that. He's talking about Blake Snell being taken out in the sixth inning. Yeah, and and I don't even know if we'll get to the whole Turner thing. What a, We don't really need to. No, we what a really disaster. It's just classic <laughs> baseball. <laughs> it's just fucking This classic. is your night where everyone just, is actually talking about you, and you find a way to screw it up. Just find a way to fuck it up. Yeah, I know. It's just brutal. But my last point with Snell is that in in the post-game interview as well, the post-game press conference, he was talking about game-to-game or inning-to-inning adjustments. Mm-hmm. Um you know, going around through. And that's something that all the best pitchers do. Now I'm no, I am not saying that I am in that class. Okay. okay? I am not saying I'm in that class. They are hundred times more talented than I am, but I was the guy that would make the batter to batter inning to inning adjustments. Mm -hmm. So I did strike out Keston here, just full disclosure, you said did, that on this pod before. 100%. <laughs> but the two at-bats before that, he had put together great swings on off-speed pitches, like phenomenal swings. And obviously, the college is one thing, big leagues is the other. But the fundamentals of baseball always stay the same. You know, mm-hmm. throw competitive pitches, competitive at-bats, play catch. Right. The fundamentals always stay the same. So this is the same fundamentals as, as pitching in the big leagues. He was just on every single off speed pitch. So the third at bat, I was just like, you know what? Just 
fuck it. Like, I'm just going to throw fastballs and see what happens. And sure enough, like he was, he wasn't late on the fastball, but he missed it. So like, obviously something worked. So that's what I'm talking about. And Snell was talking about like how he was making those, those third time through adjustments, those, those at bat adjustments. It just, it, the way it sounded, the way and it was visible, obviously, because he dominated. But the way it just sounded was that he was more dialed in than maybe he's ever been. Like yeah. that was that might have been the best game he's ever pitched, and he's he was a Cy Young Award winner, which is saying something. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think that at that point, you're not not that I needed convincing because, like I said, I would have left him in. But it's just hey, if the num you talk about numbers and they say, Oh, they're a numbers guy, all these different things. You talk about numbers. It's like, well, look, the numbers tonight <laughs> say that they're not touching them. So I'm going to rock with that. And the last thing I'm thinking Mookie is going to do is hit a home run. Now, if he does get a base hit and now it's first and second, now maybe you think about it. Okay. Because now Seeger's up, I believe. I don't know if you would have thought about it at that point. Or if you're like, look, try to get the double play ball. But two men on, I think Kevin Cash doesn't get destroyed. I think it was just one hit from the nine hitter. It is the third time through the lineup, but they had not 0 for 6 with six strikeouts from the first three batters. And you don't let him throw one pitch to Mookie. I think that was the issue. Like, I really think if he walks Mookie, if Mookie hits a single, Mookie hits a double. Like you said, even if Mookie hits a home run, it's just like, okay, I think Mookie, that line was where it was kind of decided and just pulling. And that's the thing. How are you a numbers person, but you don't know how Mookie is done. It was confusing because how are you a numbers person, but you don't care about the numbers that Mookie has against lefties in in recent history. That's what I don't under, that's what I, that's where the disconnect was for me, which is it pick one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And the last thing, the last, last thing that I will say is, is momentum is everything. Mm-hmm. The outcomes, you could talk about hypotheticals and if he would have given up this hit, then, then what do you do? But the point is, is that it, it completely swung the game in the direction you don't want it to go in if you're trying to force a game seven. And you're telling me that he is, he was not the, the best possible pitcher that could face right you bring in anderson who Mookie? he's a nine era in the post i get he's been awesome but he's a nine era in the postseason and they've seen these look that's the thing about when these series go long they've seen everybody multiple times so you're not tricking anyone this isn't and that's the thing about regular season games when you're playing in certain series a team is, might be seeing only seeing Anderson once, maybe maybe twice, and one of those times, if it is twice, was a quick stint. So they're not seeing him enough to get a gauge. When you get these six, seven, get five, six, seven game series, that's when it's like, look, we've seen this dude before. You're not surprising me. That's why they try to keep. That's why historically it's been okay. We throw certain people in certain positions, and we make sure that you know everybody knows what their role is, but in this kind of, and in this new age that we have, and you know, the bullpen is the bullpen and everybody throws gas. So it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter if they've seen the guy five times already in the series, like it does matter. And he's not a starter. Like, let's be honest. If you throw 100 and you're coming out of the pen and you're not a closer, there's a reason. 
I mean, there's mm-hmm. a reason you're not complete. You're not fully complete. You are not the best option. So yeah, the more I think about it, I do. I obviously I realize why people are upset. Some of the people, some people were just ready to just jump off a cliff and to, okay, I'll put it to you like this. To me, people saying, is this the worst decision in sports history? That's blasphemy. I don't think this even comes close to not I mean, running the ball. I don't think this comes close to the Seahawks, man. With I, I mean, I, I don't agree. think I agree. Close. I agree that the, that decision's worse, but, but you think it's close. Pretty, this is pretty fucking bad. I, I was He's not hitting me yet. I was genuinely shocked. I was pissed. I was pissed off in the moment. I was, I was really pissed off in the moment. Yeah, I get so. it. And people are like, we feel robbed out of possibly seeing a good performance. I do agree with that. My thing is you weren't going to shut out the Dodgers. You just weren't. You weren't. That's a good point. That's a good I just, point. I thought Mookie uh, ending it there with a little exclamation mark was cool too. I, I hate the Dodgers. Okay. Obviously I, I think it's very clear that I've never picked the Dodgers in a series. Um, sorry, no, but no it was, you can't deny that it wasn't cool. Like Mookie's awesome. Mookie's a superstar. I, look, I don't know what the numbers are head so to awesome. head. I don't know what the numbers are head to head, but, and I don't think it really makes a huge difference, but if you're major league baseball, you got to make sure Mookie gets that finals or the world series MVP. It's got to be him or Kershaw. Uh, yeah. I, Kershaw. I'll look back at the, I'll look back at the numbers, but Mookie. By the way, are, I know you're familiar with, I, I'm sure you've met him before and you don't have to say anything on this. I don't know if he was just being Bonte Hill. I don't know if he was just being like a Dodger Kershaw hater. And right. that was like, I was just mad online. I might've just been mad online sometimes. Oh, I saw, I saw you quote tweeted it. You were upset. But I was like, he was talking about how this was like a Peyton Manning thing with Kershaw. I was like, bro, he was fucking awesome. during. The yeah. Wars. No, I don't think it's the same. Like the, I don't the, know if he they was had being... that defense. Yeah. They, they won in spite of Peyton Manning. Kershaw, they're not winning this world series without Kershaw. And no. you can make that argument for Mookie Seager, Kershaw, um and Bueller. Right? Yeah, and that's yeah, Bueller and Urius. If you Urias only pitch two so games, cool. two games, two starts, and that's the only time you pitch, you're not going to win the World Series MVP. See Madison Bumgarner. Like that's the only time that's gonna happen. You Seager. have to do more. I, I I had no problem with Seager getting it. What I, 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 yeah. What did you think of Rob Manfred's act? after the game with the microphone and, and how he sounded, whether he was drunk or it just sounded like he malfunctioned completely. And I hope he's okay in good health. He was doing a lot. He was doing a lot. And this just wasn't really the time for that. It, it wasn't the time. I mean, we want to hear from like, like, like I just talked about, I, I'm always going to be prone to Mookie, even though he's on the Dodgers. But like I just talked about, you are trying to you have an opportunity to build a brand and a new brand and faces and you're wasting the time like have some self-awareness nobody wants to hear from you right now they don't he uh he also got booed off the just so harshly booed it was a poor Proud. display it was it was awesome how loud he got booed that was 
there was not even, I mean, I don't even know how many fans are in the stands, but it was loud coming down. And the way, I don't know, I heard it was a mic thing. I don't know. Mm. I want to believe that I just picture him just dreading going out to to talk to the crowd and, and announce the MVP, just like right. bottle of whiskey in the hallway, just like sitting, <laughs> sitting on the ground, like just chugging the bottle, like, fuck, like I got, I'm about to get absolutely abused here. Yeah. So let me go ahead and just make this longer than it needs to be. Yeah. Well, overall though, good series. Like I, I was, it was a good series. I was very entertained. I mean, Randy, Randy's awesome. Very, very excited this. to see. And, you know, uh, we talk about the, the Dodgers so much. Randy's record that he broke, postseason hits record, he broke Pablo Sandoval's, who had 26 hits in 2014. So shout out Panda, man. <laughs> that, that guy. guy. That, that guy. guy. So that Randy guy broke. Almost, <laughs> almost finessed the world. Almost finessed. You know, I'm excited. Yeah. I, it's hard because of the, I'm excited to watch what happens with Randy or Rosarena. Was this a flash in the pan or is he going to be an all-star caliber player? We have no clue. Hopefully, you know, right now all the signs point to that being the case, but when it comes to the Rays, man, and I know Jeff Passan and a lot of people are talking about the Rays being poised to not just be a flash in the pan to be here over and over again, the Yankees are going to do something. They're, they're very tired of this. I don't know what, but they're going to do something. So you look at this opportunity and for these small markets, that's why it hurts for the Rays so much because if the Dodgers lose again, it would be embarrassing because it would have been, I think they're, I think it was three times in four years. It'd be another loss. And also they but they would be back. You know, they're going to be back. They have the horses. They're going to be back. I don't know if the Rays will. I, I think baseball minds think that they will. But thinking something and actually doing it are two completely different things. And I don't know. A team like the Rays, a very small market team, it's hard for me to believe. Make sure I'm not saying they won't make the playoffs, especially in this new extended. But this type of run with – and you can make the argument if it wasn't for Randy or, or Rosarena, I don't even know how this series – go six games you even talked about you said there's no reason it shouldn't go less than five because of what the Rays have pitching wise but hitting wise the Rays were atrocious you see people you see um players carry teams in basketball because there's five people right even a quarterback you're you're in charge of everything baseball you don't see it that often besides a pitcher obviously but a position player I mean Joey Wendell, how many times are you going to smoke the ball off your foot, buddy? Figure it out. They were really, really bad offensively. And they pretty much solely relied on the long ball. Like they were, <laughs> it was tough for them to string together multiple hits throughout the entire postseason. I mean, right. without a Rosarena, they're not getting past the Yankees. I don't no. think they're getting past the Yankees. No, no, no shot. So, uh, yeah, I've never seen someone carry a team like that offensively. That's what you know, we've that's seen, what's we've so seen the, the the pitching performances. But you're abs- uh, I think they'll be better offensively next year, but they also they can't do the bullpen. They're going to have to get production. Like Glasnow is going to have to have a good year. 
we love glass now because he's yeah. electric and and but he hasn't produced the the great results on a consistent basis yet he's been awesome some no. games but he's gonna have to be good i don't think that they can sustain that bullpen game for 162 games I think no. they'll get to the postseason. I, I think they have a legitimate shot to yeah, get. Yeah, especially the like I said, if they leave this new expansion situation, they're they're definitely going to be in the mix. But a run like this, uh, getting to the World Series is special, man. Yeah. For especially for teams like that, like I said, if, even if the Dodgers lose, you don't feel that bad because they're probably going to be there next year and they're eventually going to win. But if they are going to win, as a salty Giants fan, at least they won in a shortened season, and we can say that. And hopefully. This is the last one that they'll have for a while. Yeah, they, it was it was nice for them to get one. Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, it was look, nice for them to get one. I'm happy for Kershaw. They, uh, he he sh- he should have one, mm-hmm. at least one, hopefully just one. There you go. So it's a good series though. Um, but yeah, next year Dodgers will probably get there again and and hopefully lose, or maybe they'll they'll get knocked off by the Braves. Braves, and that's it again. Teams are always improving. We talked Dodgers about that. Improve too. We talked. I don't know how, how can they? They'll find a way, dude. They're so good. They're so fucking good. Yeah, it's it's tough, man. Should we get to our interview? Let's do it. All right. All right. We now welcome on a more than special guest. He is a run prevention coordinator. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yeah. Run prevention coordinator. Run prevention coordinator with the Chicago Cubs. He's a former big leaguer. He's a former NPO vet as well. He's a U of A. Is that, did I, the Japanese league? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, former NPO vet. He's also a U of A wildcat. It is the legendary Brad Mills. Brad, thank you so much for coming on. I'm really excited about having you on. Thanks for having me, man. It's good to catch up. Yeah, we live our AZL glory days. That's pretty much like the one of the main reasons why I started the podcast, so I could just catch up with with some of the guys that I played with. You know. Yeah. That's what. Uh, that's the best thing about baseball, man. Whether it's pro ball or anything else before that it's like yeah you remember your good games the 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 big team wins or whatever but the things that you take most are like all those friends and relationships and crazy nights you have with your buddies um i don't think anyone ever gets done playing and talks more about games than they do like how good of a teammate someone was or this this night out with this dude and so yeah, man, that's what it's all about is just getting to chill and, and build those friendships. You have a lot of crazy nights out or what? No, no, no. never. You just no. you just like to talk about it, all the, the, the wild. Yeah, I mean, I've been to fly on the 20s. wall for a couple, but I don't I don't I don't partake as much, you know. I Yeah, you should before we get into it, you really do. Sorry, this is now we're getting sidetracked already. I knew this was going to happen. But you strike me as the guy that like when you when you do go out, it's a time like you're the guy that everyone he doesn't go out often. But when he does, like everyone always has a good time. Everyone knows that guy. Yeah, I mean, I like to I like to be out. And there's only been a couple couple nights in my life where you get after it a little bit. But the other ones, I just I just like being out with people. You know how the grind of, of a season is. You got to you got to kind of 
let it go a little bit and uh, break up the monotony of, of pro baseball. So um, that's why, I mean, this year, not to get ahead of ourselves, but with the COVID stuff, man, that's why this year was kind of a drag because none of that stuff was on the table. So you, uh, you really got bogged down by just the grind of, of every, every game day. So, um, but yeah, in a normal year, that's, that's, that's the real deal. All right. Well, first question, we're just going to get this out of the way. Um, I told you I wasn't going to tell you the question um, because it's kind of a bombshell. Uh, you were, I'm not going to say you were part of the best trade in, in baseball history because it's not the best trade by any means. In fact, if I said it was the best trade, that would be pretty insulting towards you. But it was <laughs> definitely the most memorable trade um, in my mind. In, in my mind, you were traded from the Milwaukee Brewers okay. to the Oakland Athletics for quote unquote cash considerations. Yeah. But right. on, on Wikipedia, it says it was later to be revealed as 100 cents. And in other words, that's $1. $1. Did you, you know about that right away? Like, how did that whole thing unfold? No. Well, first of all, do you know, do you know the nickname that the Oakland faithful dubbed me when I got there? You know, the no. Oakland crowd, right? It's a oh, little, lo- it's awesome. Love the, love the Oakland crowd. Alan's except for the Raiders. Raiders fans. I mean, I know they're the same as A's fans, but I'm going to pretend like they're not because the Raiders stink. Um, Watch it. Watch it here. (laughs) Um, No, they called me Dollar Dollar Mills because I got traded for for a dollar. And they were really loud. And and at first I was like, really? That's kind of like insulting. But but then I came to like it because they were all all about it. Um, So, no. So, I went to... I was in Japan in 13 and then I had a hard time getting a job in 14 um, coming back. And so I signed a minor league deal with the Brewers and didn't even get an invite to major league spring training. And um, so go there, go to AAA, which was in Nashville uh, was throwing really well. Like some of the best, like, like games of my life or whatever. And I had an out clause in my contract that basically said, if a major league team was willing to put me on the roster that the brewers had to let me go like they basically if, if they weren't willing to promote me to the big leagues and another team was they had to like give me up for nothing but i guess you can't give anyone up for nothing so like in order to make that transaction like legal or whatever they had to like throw a dollar in there <laughs> to make to make the trade uh legit so um i mean kudos i was super thankful to the brewers because i think it was kind of like a handshake agreement like they really didn't have to let me go, but they honored their word. And, uh, and yeah, like, you know, I think they had plenty of depth. I mean, that year we had like Mike Fires in AAA, Jimmy Nelson was in AAA who were, you know, both really good pitchers. And so they felt like they were covered depth wise and just let me go. Cause Oakland had a need and through the, through the brewers, a fat dollar bill. And here we go. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, I feel like I, that's an interesting part to the story. Cause I would think that you would have like, fucking hated Milwaukee because for trade you're like wow they don't even view me as you know a yeah a jumbo pack of M&Ms like you know a, a movie theater candy is like five times of what it I sounds like they were doing traded but that's right no see that's yeah. that's that was my perspective so that's interesting you brought that up. it clears up a lot yeah and up a lot well, it, it goes back to, to like what I try to tell guys now is like, I know you get so sidetracked with 
all the business of baseball and your opportunity and, you know, you're getting screwed and all this stuff. But like, really, if you take care of your end on the field, like more often than not, it's going to work out. Yeah. Guys are getting screwed and you're going to get buried on depth charts somewhere from time to time. But if you keep going out and dealing, like someone's going to find a spot for you, you know, and it just happened that year, like to be Oakland, which was super flattering. Cause like at the time when I went over there, they were, they were the best team in baseball. I think record wise, you know, we had Donaldson before he kind of burst on the scene as an MVP. We had Sonny Gray, we had Casimir, we had uh, Doolittle was closing games for, you know, like we were legit. And then they gave me a rotation spot in the middle of that whole thing, which was, was pretty flattering. So again, goes back to like, yeah, the Brewers did me a solid but at the same time. You just keep your head down and grind and, and good things happen. That's great. That's great. I, yeah. You were always really good at, at relaying that information too, of just kind of the, the tunnel vision aspect of, of playing professional baseball. Cause you're absolutely right. And it's hard in college too, but uh, like when you get to, to pro ball, there's so many, so much outside shit going on, but um, college yeah. was an extra thing too. Like, I mean, with scholarship stuff, you know, like I felt I was a walk on, I don't know what your situation was, but like, I just felt like you were at an automatic disadvantage because they weren't spending a scholarship on me. So like you had, yeah, I had to work, you know, and, and kind of get through the, the political side of that too. And, you know, pro ball is no different of, of uh, you know, overcoming the bonus babies and the guys are going to get the more innings and all that stuff. So yeah, man, it's just, it's a mental toughness thing where you just put your head down and, and grind away. I think that is pretty interesting not to go too far in time though, because I don't even know how I, football is the only one that kind of makes sense for me, but I guess the question would be, cause you went to university of Arizona, correct? Yeah. Which is pretty darn good at baseball. So my question, I get it. Everybody always needs a pitcher. I'm the position player in this okay. situation. Right. And so we always have pitchers on, but my question is, did you talk to Arizona first? I feel like you must've just really blew. If not, you must've really just blew their socks off because these bigger schools I feel like most of the time they got what is pretty darn close to a full roster already each year. Yeah. I got lucky. So, well, it's a crazy story. So I went down there, the pitching coach knew I was coming. He said I could be a recruited walk-on. So he said I would be on the fall roster uh, my freshman year and then like, see if I make the team. I was like, mm -hmm. that's cool. You know, I wasn't that, I mean, I was good in high school, but not like recruited good. And so I was like, I'll take my shit. I'll take my shot. Um, and then, I got down there first day of class. I go into the office to meet the, the pitching coach and he's not there. And I'm like, where's Jeff Morris? And they're like, Oh, he took a scouting job with the Cincinnati Reds. Like he was gone and no one in the office knew who I was. <laughs> so they're like, they gave me a piece of paper, like, Hey, come to walk on tryouts. And so a lot of application, like, like literally like <laughs> fill out a waiver and come back in six weeks on October 7th and like throw a bullpen for us. So I literally came back and threw like a 23 pitch bullpen, like with everything riding on whether I make the team or not from that 23 pitches. And um, I don't know if somehow they reached out to that pitching coach and he like put a word in and let him know I was coming or if really I was unknown. But like, um, I remember about halfway through the head coach was like starting to watch more and call pitches and, um, and then they just kept me for the fall. And then we had our prize freshman left-handed pitcher um, go down with a shoulder injury that fall. And so like they need an opening and I was basically free, I guess, and threw well that fall. And 
they kept me and it just kind of went from there. But yeah, yeah the rest is wow. history. So you were fully yeah. prepared to, if it didn't work out in those 23 pitches, see you later, baseball. I guess. I mean, not in my head. At that time, I was kind of pissed still that like <laughs> that, that, that pitching coach, I had like a axe to grind, you know, like, like right. no, you, you told me I had three weeks to show you what I got. I'm not, not a 23 pitch bullpen or whatever. So I, I probably naive a little bit to like how close I was to being done mm-hmm. at the time. Cause in my head, I was going to raise hell if, if they told me, see you later, but, um, burn the whole place. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. Something like that. You know, I get in modes like that, but like, uh, yeah, they kept me and yeah, things worked out and, you know, and pitched in the college world series my freshman year. So that is pretty nuts. That whole yeah, story was, was pretty crazy. No, Millsy has this crazy karma where the guy, like, I mean, <laughs> like, like he, the good things just happen to the guy, you know, I mean, and he deserves it because he's a grinder. Like you said, I mean, you must, you were dotting in that bullpen, huh? That must have been had a, just I an had absolute a, nasty bullpen. I, I had the curveball going that day, you know. I'm not gonna lie; it was it was a yacker. So, <laughs> you know, a snap you know, yeah, snap dragon, whatever you want, banger, whatever you want to call it. That's great. That's uh, awesome. Um, so, from U of A, that was that was great by Alan, by the way, of just segueing into U of A because that's that's where that's where I wanted it to go. So, just kudos to you, bro. Um, <laughs> but from U of A. You get drafted in what, 22nd, 23rd round, your junior year, chose to come back yeah. and then got drafted in the fourth round. Yeah. Ended up making your, your big league debut. You grind through the minors for how many years? Just like one and a half. I was super lucky. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Right and place, right time. Not that starting wasn't to, much starting to see a theme. Starting to see a theme here. Right place at yeah. the right time. Yeah. Weird. Real <laughs> yeah. weird. But you made your, your big league debut. June 18, 2009 against, mm-hmm. uh, I don't even know who it was against. Philly. Philly. Philly, yeah. huh? Well, so, and then from there, you just, you were kind of all over the place. So you, yeah. I mean, you have some experience. You, you pitched a lot in the big leagues. Take us through kind of your journey and, and some of the more memorable stops. I'm sure some were more than others. I'm sure everywhere was obviously had its, had its great parts. But what, I guess, what were your two greatest stops along the way of, of your big league career? Um, I mean, you know, too, like your, your recollection of what you like, where you like to play is like, so multifaceted. It's, it's the, the city you're in and what, you know, if you like that city, it's the coaches you have there, if you like those coaches and then it's how you actually pitch too. So like, you know, I love the city of Nashville and AAA when, I was there with the Brewers and then I was there again next year when they switched to the A's um, and I re-signed with the A's. Um, but like that second year, I didn't pitch well. So I don't know, it, that's a really like loaded question. But if you had to zoom out, I mean, that time with Oakland, the big leagues was probably my best, my favorite four weeks of baseball my entire life. I mean, like I threw well, like I said, we were the best team in baseball. We had a bunch of like unheralded, good players that like, you know, Yoenis Cespedes was like the only bona fide star on that team. And everyone else was like kind of under the radar and had kind of a bone to pick with being cast off by other teams. So that was like super fun clubhouse to be in. Um, and so, yeah, like 
I think I made three starts with Oakland and they were all decent. And I think we had a chance to win all those games and um, yeah, just really fun four weeks of baseball, you know? And um, other than that, I'm trying to think, like I, I really enjoyed playing in the city of Nashville and that was more just cause I liked the city and, and my family um, was able to come and kids loved it there. We made some good friends there. Um, trying to think. And honestly, when I was coming up with the Blue Jays, their AAA was in Las Vegas. And everyone else would be like, oh, like sick, like you're going to Vegas. I mean, we, I get, you know, it was me and my wife, so we didn't really go out much, but like we really enjoyed like just chilling in the city of Las Vegas. And um, it's kind of a hitter friendly ballpark and, and league. And I actually pitched pretty well and was able to kind of like figure that league out a little bit and how to pitch. So that was kind of fun to be, um, be kind of a consistent presence. I was there for three years. So um, I have fond memories of, of Vegas and some good friends there. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that was really, I guess I kind of asked a shitty question, um, but that was really what I was asking was kind of your, your best experiences as far as, yeah. as all those factors that you'd previously stated. Cause yeah. There's, I mean, there's if you had to, if you had to boil it down to like a single moment too, and, and this is something that we're saying, like my first major league win was in 2010 um, against the Orioles. And like, I, I pitched seven shutout innings. And like, while I look back and I remember how good it felt to pitch well, I will never, ever forget like how my teammates treated me. Like I got the pie in the face, the Gatorade cooler dumped on me. They like, they waited for me in the locker room after I came in, did the interview and like they were Team slow shower. clapping, like this, yeah, slow clapping me in the, in the locker room. I mean, like we were a fourth place team in the AL East and like, it was just a random game in July, you know, against the Orioles who were in last place and yet they made me feel like super, you know, special and, and um, important. And like, that's the kind of stuff. I mean, like you were talking earlier about teammates, like you'll never forget stuff like that, that teammates do for you. And I mean, that's a pretty, pretty special moment. Yeah. That, that's kind of goes into my next question. Like who is uh, two, two questions regarding actually your, your playing days, two more. Number one, who is a teammate like that? That was, and I know you didn't stay anywhere like super consistently, but who was a, a teammate like that, that may not only might've been just awesome on the field, but was equally as awesome off the field, being a leader, being a presence and helping guys through struggling situations and, and maybe something they're going through off the field as well. Who was someone that, that, people could rely on consistently for that that you played with oh dude I don't even know I mean there's a million guys like you said I bounced around um I think that the type of player that I was most struck by was like being in triple a and you get these guys who have like six to eight years of major league time who are still playing and are in triple a at the time and like you know they've made a good amount of money they have a good pedigree and uh and like, yet they're still like a normal person and treating like all these AAA minor leaguers, like, you know, like their peers and equals. Um, I remember I played with Chris Woodward in Vegas, who's now the manager for the Texas Rangers. Um, mm. And like, I didn't even look into his resume, like for the longest time. And like, finally, I, f I looked up his, his baseball card or something. And I'm like, dude, this guy's got almost 10 years of big league time. 
and um and like you'd never know it for like how he treated everyone and how like he you know he didn't kick people out of the bus and like doubled up when he had like all that stuff you know and he was actually in between bp and game time he was studying to get his like master's degree in something like just a top-notch like dude and and cool veteran presence um i think the other guy uh i played with barry zito in 15 when he was trying to like make his comeback and wanted to have one more year um in in triple a and like again it's barry zito cy young winner um great career and and he's in triple a man like riding commercial planes and hanging out with us on the road and going to dinner and stuff and um was super blown away with like just how he treated all of us and didn't act like he was better than all of us even though he really was you know um that that kind of stuff stands out to you when those veteran guys kind of um just just treat you normal i would love to hang out with zito i bet we put we played guitar together a couple times in his room because like i I play a little bit he's obviously really really good i think he's even like he stayed in nashville after that year because he like made some connections with all the country music people and he was like in the music business and stuff. And so, um, yeah, like, like we, I went up to his hotel room a couple of times and like jamming out and like, dude, teach me something, man. <laughs> Damn. Did you guys hotbox? No, you don't have to answer that. Um, but no, that's, that's awesome that you, uh, that you had all those, all those experiences, just experiencing different parts of, of the country and, and, being able to take in different cities like that. Like how many people say like minor league, I'm sure triple a cities are, are better than, than the lower levels of the minors, but you're still like going from place to place. You're going to New Mexico, yeah. El Paso, El Paso's in, no, that's, are they, I did the, not go to El Paso. Well? I got, I got booted from pro ball before I ever went okay. there. Um, Colorado Springs was there. Yeah. Like I was in the PCL, the majority of my triple a life. Yeah, but you're just traveling to all these cool places, and and that's that's just an experience that that really is is unmatched um, that the baseball world can can bring. But my second question, um, and Alan, you can chime in uh, whatever you got left after this um, before we get into some dead ball. But who was the best big leaguer? Who's your like proudest punchy? like your proudest, most proud ticket punched in your career that you just walked away saying like, holy shit, you know, I, I just. Like I, I would say big poppy, but he also hit like four homers off me. So like, that's not real. You know, like I didn't really, I mean, he's like four for five with four homers and one strikeout. So like, does that really count? Yes. Um, Yes. (laughs) uh, My first ever punchy was Ryan Howard with the Phillies and that little girl on girl change up action, you know? So, um, so, uh, that, uh, that was, that was a fun one to actually get your first one to be, you know, um, a, a good, a good power hitter like that. So, I mean, the girl Jason on girl Worth, changes. Yeah. It's deadly. Yeah. It's lethal. So yeah, not many guys do it, which now in my role, now we're encouraging more, of our guys to like, Hey, why aren't you throwing your right on right or left on left change up? Like, bro, stop limiting yourself. So. Absolutely. Al, you got anything? Uh, I, I do actually have one last, last question, but Al, if, if you got, yeah, anything, no, I was just asked what I wanted to ask was about, you know, 
not necessarily your title as run prevention coordinator, just a little bit about what those schemes look like, because we're in a, we're in an age of baseball where these shifts are ridiculous, right? They're out of control. And from the viewing standpoint, it seems like the shifts reflect what the batter is going to do or what they do often, but the pitcher is still pitching opposite that. And that has always kind of confused me. Like, are you that confident that these hitters right now are so locked into only doing certain things that, Hey, it doesn't matter if we throw an outside fastball, they're still going to find a way to put it somewhere near where we have someone, or is it to the fact where it's like, look, but I think the most obvious one is when there's a lefty up and there's just nobody at third base. And it's like, Hey, if you're four or five hitter that can't steal a base to save their life wants to bunt, be my guest. Is that, that's what's very interesting to me right now. Yeah. And, and that's a really good question. Cause I mean, that's a lot of what I do. Um, I work with our infield coach, um, Andy green a lot. And, I go through the initial, like, I know how we're going to pitch guys. And then I go through all the spray charts and watch all the swings and kind of come up with my initial suggestion of like, Hey, here's how we should position guys. And then he goes through it on his end and with his experience and kind of like we talk through it and change some things or whatever. But like my role is again, baking in our, our pitching game plan. And mm-hmm. so like, if, if a dude hits, fastballs away to the opposite field but we're gonna just pound him in and there's no reason like there's no time through the bat that we're gonna throw him a heater away like we won't even honor what he does on a heater away because like look if we're throwing him away we got bigger issues of like why are we throwing to our game plan yeah right or missed missed spot or something so when you're watching it Yeah. yeah if you're a viewer watching it you can assume that oh that was way too easy for him to do that it was probably a mistake. And a lot of times to the first point, they'll still pull it. They'll still find a way to pull yeah. it anyway. I think, I think Dustin May was thrown in a game in the either world series or the NLCS where he was trying to go in on a righty and he pulled it and it went like middle away and the, and the right-handed hitter hit like a, just a ground ball second and they were shifted and it trickled through and everyone, you know, complained and made a big stink about it. But I'm sitting there watching like, dude, he missed his spot by 15 inches. And he was obviously trying to go in. They were positioned for him to probably, you know, pitch him in. And like, I don't know, our philosophy too is like, if you don't execute, like, I can't help you. Like we're, we're game planning for execution, you know, and like we're in the major leagues and we expect you to execute. And again, I know certain pitchers don't have the command that others do. And we take that into account too. But, um, but for the majority of our guys that we know, like, we're going to game plan for execution. And like, if you don't hit your spot, that's kind of on you, bro. Like, like we're going to throw it, you know, we're going to ask you to throw it where we know the guy doesn't make solid contact. And then we're going to put our fielders where he does put it in play to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I Wait, think so that's, <clears throat> go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think that's pretty interesting because from watching it and, you know, people have a lot to say about Joe Buck all the time, but for whoever you're watching, really that comment commentates the game a lot of times they're they're speaking as if it's they're shifting because this is how the hitter hits when the way you just laid it out is really 
we're shifting because of how we're going to pitch them. And I truly don't yeah. think that gets mentioned that much when you're watching yeah. a baseball game. It's all about, well, I guess he pulls it all the time. And that's what we're kind of conditioned to think. But really, it's about, no, we're going to pitch him inside. Yeah. That's why. And there's, and there's a lot, too, on, on the hitter spray. It's, it's definitely a marriage of, of the two. But we cannot ignore how we're going to pitch him by any mm-hmm. means. Like, again, for a lot of, like, John Lester stuff, you know, for, for righties, he's going to, he's going to try to pound you in with four seams and, and cutters. And so like that six hole has to be covered. And then it's the decision of like, for righty, do we want to shift him and take away up the middle or do we want to keep the guy at second and give up the middle? And I mean, a lot of times too, we started deferring to like what John wanted because you know mm-hmm. what the pitcher, that emotion out there is real. And you give up an 18 hopper that's a hit that should have been an out that that snowballs and affects like your execution on the next hitter. And like, that's real too, regardless of what the numbers say. And so it's just a blend of everything. I mean, it's a blend of, of count of base state of the score. I mean, we'll, we'll put the shift on until two strikes and then pull it off after two strikes um, for certain hitters that, you know, have an approach change. I mean, that's, that's why you have to watch the swings too. You can look at the spray chart. But until you filter like a two strike spray chart and then see what they're trying to actually do when, you know, during their swing, are they trying to let travel and trying to shoot it the other way and they have the back control to do it? Like, you know, all that stuff you have to kind of take into account of, of how you end up positioning them, you know? Yeah. I mean, cause the last thing I'll say on it is the craziest thing I saw was I think it was game one of the world series and I believe it was either the bottom of the first or bottom of the second. Will Smith is up, who he's got some pop, but he's up with nobody up, with nobody on base. And they literally pulled the second baseman. It was, it was like a rover situation in the yeah. outfield. It was four outfielders. It was like softball. Yeah. And I was yeah. just like, I, I was just kind of confused. I guess they were just so convinced that he's going he's gonna to pop it up or we're going to pitch him up. We'll, we'll give up the four hole. There was nobody at second base. Yeah. And, and it's a big thing too. And a lot of it's uh, all the advanced analytics, but like the, the damage, you know, the damage and the slug is mm-hmm. like, if you have four outfielders, the be- the worst you're going to get is a single and right. the probability of stringing together three singles to score a run is obviously way less than popping a Homer or getting a double and then followed by just one more hit or whatever. Right, so, right. I mean, they're playing the probabilities. I, I do think that, that, that's why the game state and the score matter. Like, obviously there's spots where like a single kills you a second, third, two outs, you know, like you're not going to give up a single and that that's when it gets tough. Um, like, you know, this guy's spray chart, you know, his tendency, but do you have the nuts to like second and third, two outs, eighth inning, you're up by one to still shift a right-handed hitter and give up the four hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's heavy spray up the middle and you're going to cover for that. But like, to you and I, it seems so easy to just play pepper and hit a ground ball at second, you know, and right. can this guy do it in this spot? I mean, you're banking on him not. So uh, it, it gets, it gets tough in those spots. Very interesting stuff. Yeah. So you, you had mentioned that you, you put together a game plan, right? Based on execution for the opposing team. So we just saw it in, in game six of the world series the game to game adjustments and, and feel the game. That's like the biggest thing that's being talked about right now. I guess how often are, are you guys making those game to game adjustments? Cause I was always that pitcher that I would adjust inning to inning batter to batter at, based off of what I saw. So based off of what you guys are seeing, how often do those 
game to game, like how often are those changes made and how quickly are they made? And are they coming from your office? Are they coming from the, is it the coaching staff that's making them? How are those in-game adjustments being made? Orlando, just, just ask what you want to ask. We know what you want to ask. No, I ask about Blake Snell. You want to ask no, about no, no. Blake Snell. I, I want to ask, like, ask about how, how I'm very, fa- I'm fascinated. Please, by, please ask me. I'm fascinated <laughs> by the, how game to game and inning to inning adjust baseball is batter to batter. That's like why yeah. Belichick is so fucking good is because every it's different every game. And, and that's, if a team was choking up with two strikes and, fouling off and spitting on breaking balls okay i'm gonna fucking come with the heater up then like how 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 are those changes made so the power of our system is so when i came on we have a a catcher and game planning like coach his name's mike borzello he's been in 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 the game for 30 years and this is kind of like his system that he's developed over his 30 years he's with the yankees he was their bullpen catcher through the 90s i mean caught mariano rivera's first cutter you know, he's with the Dodgers. He's close to Kershaw, helped him develop his slider. And like, he's kind of the game plan guy through both the, the Yankees and the Dodgers. And now with us, with the Cubs for the last 10 years. So he's actually in the dugout and him and I and our pitching coach, Tommy Hottaby work together and like go through all the hitters, come up with our notes, sit together and come up with our overall game plan. But the power is that those two guys are in the dugout. So like literally they can, um, they can see what's happening in the game and like sit with Wilson Contreras, Victor Caratini, our catchers and whoever's pitching that day and like start making those adjustments in real time. Because like, I'm, I'm inaccessible during a game, especially with all the new video room rules. Like I'm literally off limits once the game starts. So like, I'm more of like the pregame work and then those guys end up kind of making the in-game adjustments based on, Hey, are the is this lineup taking a certain approach off Kyle Hendricks? Are they are they sitting change up on him? Do we have to throw more fastballs? Or, you know, are they spitting on every change up because they, you know, they're only looking for breaking balls or, or whatever, whatever it is. Um, they have the ability in in the dugout to like literally make make adjustments on, on a on a dime like that. So um I, I think our system would be way less effective if it was just like hey here's our pre-game scouting report like good luck and then leave it up to the players like we have an infrastructure set up to where like we have coaches walking guys through um at bats like in the middle of in the middle of innings and stuff like that i i would certainly hope most organizations have that um i'm sure you there's do, i don't know yeah I, i'm yeah. sure you're you're absolutely right i don't think that a lot of them do but i yeah. would I would hope that that becomes, we, we hold our guys, we hold our guys accountable too. And like really do a good job. I think of analyzing starts and relief appearances like the next day and like, you know, comparing it to what our game plan was and did we execute it? Or if we didn't execute it, like why, like, you know, there's a million factors why, like, let's say you want to throw a this certain hitter, a ton of breaking balls, but like, the pitcher comes out of the pen that day and he has no feel for his slider. Like I can't keep asking him to throw sliders if he's out there saying like, I got no feel for it. I'm going to throw it 58 feet every time. Like we got to go to plan B, you know, and there's a ton of times when we had to go to plan B or plan C pretty quickly. Cause I'm, 
not going to beat my head against the ground um, with our, you know, optimal game plan if our pitcher that day can't execute any of it because execution is still, you know, key and, and it trumps everything. So, yeah, that's that's the kind of thing you balance of of how how soon to pull the shoot and and move to the next kind of next option. I'm assuming the Dodgers are the toughest team, toughest offense to game plan for. We didn't play them this year. I mean, last year. Last they were, year. Uh, yeah, I mean, last year they're good. They're super, super good offense. Um, I'm trying to think who else was good. I mean, the Nationals were really good last year with um, Soto and everything, and um, they they had a really, really tough lineup. I'm trying to think. This year we just played the NL Central and then the AL Central. I mean, the White Sox this year honestly probably had the um, the the toughest lineup up and down. Um, but I I would say watching the World Series, you'd I mean, Joe Buck said a million times, but like a team that takes their walks and doesn't chase is super hard to game plan because they'll just wait you out. And in this game of, of plus stuff guys that don't focus on command, I mean, you saw it with Tampa a little bit on bullpen, like they had this great bullpen, but Fairbanks and even Nick, Nick Anderson to a, to a degree, um, you know, didn't command everything well. And like the Max Muncy's and those guys that, that will wait you out and make you come into the zone or just take a walk really um, force those guys uh, to kind of abandon their strength and put them in a corner a little bit. And I think, I think you saw how a lineup that's willing to do that is, is really, really tough to, to get out in a, especially in a seven game series. And along with being willing to take walks and stuff, I think in Orlando, we talked about it earlier in the show I thought it was good for, as a guy who could never I, look, man, it was my swing path. All right. I had the power. I can lift. I'm strong, but the ball just wouldn't go over the fence. I would smoke <laughs> the heck out of the fence all the time. It wouldn't go over. So this new obsession with the long ball. And it's funny, our podcast is called the long ball. Um, I get it. Everybody loves it, but it was something to watch the players on the Dodgers when they got in those situations, they were shortening up. Like the maximum, they were hitting singles and they weren't yeah. trying to, you know, go Donkey Kong every single time. And I thought that was a good look for baseball because it's like, if you have a, a fire powered offense like that and they're willing to take walks and hit singles and go with pitches, right. other teams should take note as well. Right. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, we lost our playoff series to the Marlins. We got swept. Um, and doing the advanced report for that team. I mean, again, they, they, they beat us fair, fair and square. I, I felt like it was a way less talented roster than mm-hmm. who we had offensively. Yes. And, but their lineup, I mean, had a drastic two strike approach. I mean, uh, I mean, you, you can look at the numbers. I think it was like 48% of their balls in play were the opposite field as a team that's mm-hmm. here. Um, they had almost no guys that we could shift. I think there was one lefty and maybe one righty in the right spot with nobody on that we shifted. Mm-hmm. So it was like the, the, those guys ran. I think they stole the most bases in, in the major leagues this year. Ton of sack bunts had a couple guys who would drag and push. And it's like you know Don Madden's their manager, Derek Jeter's their CEO or whatever. Like they're playing they're playing '90s baseball right, in the right. National League, and it does make it hard to to like defend and pitch like they're always putting pressure on you i mean Roz, you know like when runners are on that are going to run on you and push the envelope it makes it harder to focus on the hitter at the plate and it just 
I think sometimes when this, with this all or nothing approach, you're kind of, unless you have the hitters that really are going to hit 40 or 50 homers, like you're making it easy on the defense and the pitching to kind of keep just, you're going to chase everything like, great. I'll keep throwing chase breaking balls, you know, like, but if you're going to shorten up or take your walk or foul off a bunch of pitches and then try to like dump a flare in the right field, like those are some stressful pitches and just, it's hard to consistently keep those guys off the bases. And I mean, we experienced it in Miami and you saw a little bit with, with the Dodgers of like just the, the power of, of a two strike approach of a, of a situational approach. I mean, you saw a suicide or a safety squeeze with Austin Barnes, you know, like I, I think that's super powerful. And I mean, personally, I'm not a fan of the, the three true outcome baseball, the walk, the Homer and the punchy. Like I think the ball in play is still the, the, best version of baseball for fans you know that's why people want to watch the game um but it the ball and play also i mean you tell me Roz. like you're facing a hitter who is just a big donkey looking to hit a homer but is going to swing at everything like i'd feel way more comfortable against that dude than a guy who you know can change his swing path based on what you're going to do whether it's going to flatten out if you're going up in the zone whether it's going to do a little launch angle swing if you're going to pound him down with a sinker it's going to shorten up with two strikes and foul off your nasty breaking ball like that's just a tough at bat man and um you saw all those all those tampa pitchers you know would throw 100 100 pitches and four to third and they'd be done you know and the bullpen got overused and uh, in my opinion, and and it just kind of you can't keep rolling like that and expect to get the same you know results out of it, even a good bullpen like that. Well, yeah, that's especially in the playoffs. And I've brought this up before. The NBA is a completely different game in the postseason than yeah. in the regular season. Just like Major League Baseball is a completely different game in the yeah. postseason because the Twins can beat the shit out of the number four starter for whoever all Mm -hmm. they want number four and five guys throughout the whole regular season they can stack up w's that way by just Mm -hmm. pounding those guys yeah in the playoffs it's the fun andy mckay always said it um it's the fundamentals of the game it's it's competitive at bats it's throwing strikes and it's playing catch every 90 is amplified Every Mm -hmm. single pitch is amplified. There's so much more importance and the pressure, like putting the ball in play every, Mm -hmm. the, 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 we see, we see it time and time again, the, the bonehead errors that, that happened. Just look how uh, game four happened when, when they tied the series up. So we see that all that stuff is amplified. So yeah, you're absolutely right. When, when you're focused on the the fundamentals of the game, that that's just going to, make it easier for you to win when it when it really matters most yeah yeah i i i completely agree i just i just think that um yeah the 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 era of baseball that we're in and um the way that guys use bullpens and i mean it just it just changes every everyone's obsessed with sample size and you get that in a regular season because it's such a grind 162 games but like, so like a random 90 feet on a pass ball doesn't matter as much. I mean, like maybe it loses you a game, but a game in the scope of 162 might not be a huge deal. In the playoffs, like you said, everything matters. Uh, 90 feet matters to get a guy in scoring position, a guy getting third with one out. Like, I mean, you saw, I think it was a wild pitch. It's actually scored a run the other day off of the Like 
that stuff is so magnified. Leadoff walks are magnified even more. Like pitch counts are magnified more. You, like you can't keep running out your same bullpen arms day after day, especially in this series with with limited off days. You know, in this postseason, and um, there's definitely an effect I think on hitters seeing the same relievers three or four times in a series. You know, there's not that mm-hmm. newness of seeing the guys. You know, if, even a Fairbanks with 100 miles an hour at the top of the zone, it's like all those Dodgers hitters had seen him for two, three, four at bats already by game six. It's like, he's kind of out of tricks, you know, and, and all that stuff gets, gets really magnified in a, you know, in a postseason, especially the world series. So um, for sure, I think you're right on with that. Alan, do you have anything, any other questions? Um, this, this last part, uh, you know, we obviously started out kind of lighthearted with your career, but this last part, just talking baseball has been, I mean, that's porn to me. So. My, my career was lighthearted to you? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> touche, touche, like, wise come guy. Come on, Doc. No, but I'm saying like the, the <laughs> it was more kidding. so of, of, you know, the $1 thing, your, your experience playing. I'm just kidding. Dollar Dollar Mills, by the way, is I'm just going to start calling you that if that's okay. That's <laughs> awesome. That's, that's like fine, the coolest dude. nickname ever. Yeah. Uh, I'm I, glad you embraced uh, that. I, I could see how you'd be pissed at first, but like looking back, I knew you'd have the same kind of perspective as me where you're like, all right, like it's memorable. I could, I could call a spade a spade. You know, I wasn't that good. I wasn't a very good big leaguer. So, you know, I fine. think you were great. Um, oh, thanks. And also you could have zigzagged it by doing like a conversion of currency. So you could have been like, yeah, I was traded for whatever $1 is in, in yen. I know yen is yen? like, yeah. yeah. So you could have been like a hundred yen. What about pesos pesos i looked that up that's like 24 bucks so it's okay. still 24 pesos <laughs> that sounds worse i think that sounds worse. <laughs> yeah that sounds like a like the the bargain deal but uh <laughs> thank you so much for this interview we do have we have one more short segment that we like to do and i'm glad glad you came on because because you're a baseball nut you you love the history of the game you love history. Uh, haven't we, we've, we've talked our sure. fair share of history before too in the bullpen, Yeah, yeah. but we do a segment dead ball. We, we, we talk about, um, an old time story. So I think I sent you a clip, you know, last week we went over some of the old rules that you could peg people or soaking as they said. Um, and the week before we did a guy tried to hijack a plane, um, after he was released from the Brooklyn Dodgers. So today, to let you go, we're going to be talking about uh, the guy that supposedly invented the flip off, like the first person to flip someone off in a picture was, according to Bill James, he's the 45th best pitcher of all time. His name is Charles Old Haas Radburn. And there's... There's not even a, a picture of him on Wikipedia. It's just like a sketch from the old time. I don't know if you guys can. I can't even see that. See that? It's too bright. Shit. Yeah. Well, you can look him up. It, it's just a sketch of him. Um, number one, Old Hoss Radburn. Radburn is just such an awesome name. But this awesome guy's name. You gonna name your kid that someday? I think old Haas? put it in the queue. Yeah, put it in the queue. I would love to name my. I don't. My future wife would hopefully be on on board with that. Um, but I can't find too many, too many. I bet I wouldn't be able yeah, to find too many women. Unique thing. Oh, okay. What about your next kid? Oh, there is no next kid. If you know oh, I mean. okay. 
Okay. You know? So so you're no no chance of an old Haas Mills. No, it, that's chip at sales. <laughs> okay. Well, either way, this guy is an American pioneer. So supposedly not only did this guy invent flipping off people because he flipped off okay. someone on the New York Giants in 1886, um, but he also invented the term Charlie horse. Okay. So Interesting. That's like a twofer. My yeah. Goodness. I mean, I, I want to, he also owned a saloon. So I, I just assume that every old time big leaguer, did you know anyone that owned a bar when you played? Cause I feel like I, I owned a bar, lived in a leaguers, bar maybe. <laughs> <laughs> all big leaguers. I feel like in the 1800s and 1900s, like owned a saloon. Really? I don't know that much about 1800 big leaguers to know that. I mean, does I don't know. Is that just a generalization? Are you stereotyping 1,800 big leaguers? Or? I don't know. What do you think? Well, didn't you just say, do you know any ball players that own a bar? And then you said, yeah, all of them in the 1800s and 1900s. Like, what? <laughs> well, he's not that old, but I, I mean, I would just, I didn't know if it's like some baseball tradition. That's I mean, when I watch, that, so. when I watch, um, I'm a big bar rescue guy. I love John Taffer. Okay. Love the show. A lot of yeah. times it's, retired athletes in general and i have seen a couple with retired baseball players and they always say professional so you don't know if they made it to the show or not but they play pro baseball and now they own a bar and the bar is if they're on bar rescue that means the bar's failing because they're in the bar too much <laughs> but think about it i mean you live you live the pro ball life and like it's just hard to i don't know hats off to people get back into like the real world. It's just the you know, bar life seems suiting, right? You're like right? mingling and you get a drink and you get yeah. a, like, I don't reminisce, know, like reminisce. Yeah. You're just kind of like chilling and, and it's not a structured deal. You're just scheduled all over the place. You're late nights, you know, sleeping in the whole deal. Like that well, seems very appropriate for mm -hmm. the bar life. is, is the bullpen is pretty much a bar without the alcohol. It just has gator. It's like a non-alcoholic bar, essentially, yeah. with the boys. Just serves right, right, gator. Right. We had some deep um, philosophical conversations down there, which I guess you'd have in a bar just with alcohol, probably. But. Right. We. I remember there was one story that I, me and Jamal talk about it all the time, but it was like the last week of the AZL. And, and for the listeners out there, we talk about the AZL quite a bit. The AZL is nuts. It's absolutely nuts. So you can only imagine how, how our mentals were doing during the last week of the season. Yeah. And we had some of the most outrageous conversations. There was the one that I remember was that we were, you're a religious guy and we were talking about religion and someone asked the questions, asked the question, if, they had the same sports teams in heaven and now we're now we're getting biblical but someone and then the other guy got like pissed off at the question jamal got mad and he was like what are you talking about like are you saying he's like no they have new teams and then like it, the bullpen pretty much broke out into an argument <laughs> over if <laughs> who had the uh, best like who if if heaven had the same sports teams yeah i remember that's quite a day but see you need conversations like that to get you through the mundane um schedule of the azl man like 
I don't know what your recollection, those last three weeks, you're just on fumes down there. So like those conversations and arguments were like a breath of fresh air because at least you're doing something different. Yes, that's why as a, even as a starter in Everett, I mean, you weren't with me in Everett. Um, You were rehabbing Brian Paul. Shout out, shout out Brian Paul. Yeah, Um, Paul. The one and only. The one and only, no one like him. But uh, I, on on my, when I wasn't charting or uh, pitching, when I wasn't in the stands charting or the starting pitcher, I was just in the bullpen. And I would host like Family Feud, uh, yeah. there was, there was all sorts of games that, that I would enjoy, enjoy. When I was playing in rookie ball, we, uh, we play bocce ball. We'd play like category. I mean, all, yeah. Family feud, all that stuff, anything to pass the time. Cause that was like the slowest season. I'm, I don't know your perspective, but like time was at a standstill in rookie ball. R- Rust Cole, you know, time is a flat circle. There you go. True detective. Um, yeah. So yeah, what Good turned show. into old house Radburn uh, just basically turned into to reminiscing the bullpen. Alan, do you do you kind of wish like based on uh, since we started the podcast, do you kind of wish you w- grew up a pitcher? No, not really. You like you like playing every day. You don't like having some downtime and some. <laughs> no, I like I like playing every some day. chillaxing. Yeah, no, I like playing. <laughs> yeah. You uh, know, just, I mean. I think that'd be a grind man like you gotta gotta get up for a game every day i, I mean rob you know like starters it's like all right let's get get it going and you lock it in and then you get four days off you know right yeah uh, you also just find yourself doing stuff that you're like kind of like why did i even try that I, you know i used to i used to chew um and there was like one time in everett where i wasn't pitching i was just i had nothing to do and someone offered me this like Dominican tar almost. And I was like, they're like, ah, now like, this is going to get you good. I'm like, Hey, you know, I got nothing better to do. So, you know, might as well just give it a go. See, see how it happens. I'm in the national anthem. It's the national anthem. I'm standing up. I can feel my teeth, like my my mouth's black (laughs) and I'm going like, I'm starting to spin during the national anthem. So you make a lot of those, you find yourself making a lot of those dumb decisions. That could have just been me, honestly. But No, no. I mean, I let, not that it was, it was letting someone trick me into having Dominican chew or whatever, but <laughs> I, uh, one of, uh, one of my, I was, it was like day two or day three in between starts and rookie ball. And, uh, I decided to let my, one of my Latin teammates give me a haircut and they're like, yeah, I need a haircut. Like go for it, dude. And it was like the worst I was like, he did the line thing and like faded it. And I'm like, bro, like, I, I don't have hair like that. You can't cut my hair like that, dude. Yeah. What <laughs> the took, wife? Like, well, I wasn't with her at that point. So uh, that was good. I had okay. time to, yeah, we started dating. Back. That, it out. that yeah. year I was like, I got to get You guys met out, the next man. day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to get this out. So I'm not. Yeah. It's like as soon as you're done with the haircut, there's like, there's just a chain around your neck. You're like, how does this get, how does this get yeah, here? I don't like, even know how this got here. I'm straight DR. Yeah. Life, so. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. awesome. Well, this has been, uh, it's been more than a pleasure catching up with you. Um, like I said, it, it's always so much fun to, to catch up with, with the old teammates, with the old coaches. And you were obviously one of my favorites. So uh, this was a must. Uh, y- your name was circled on the list. No, oh, I'm flattered, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for spending time and catching up and, uh, 
Yeah, man. If you need need me again, let me know. We'll talk about oh. some, we'll talk about we'll talk about Chiefs Niners part two in February. Ooh. Rematch. I don't think that rematch yeah. is happening considering the entire roster is it's on the injured. IR. Yeah. Uh, so. Just keep George Kittle good, man, because he's on my fantasy team in my big boy league. And so I need him to keep catching some, some passes. Yeah. I mean the Jimmy will Jimmy will get it to him. It won't be more than three yards beyond the line of scrimmage, but he'll get his PPR dog. Every catch get, a point. I just, exactly. <laughs> so you'll see some production, but, uh, <laughs> all right, Millsy, this was a pleasure. Appreciate everything. And, uh, yeah, you're welcome on anytime. Thanks for all taking right, the time, man. Yeah, man. Good to meet you. See you guys. Take, take care. Yeah. Thank you for listening to believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.